It's the moment seven-year-old Ayanna Stanley Jones is fatally shot. And not even Officer Joseph Weekly's defense attorney denies it was Weekly who pulled the trigger. Prosecutors say Joseph Weekly was grossly negligent when he pulled the trigger on his submachine gun, killing Ayanna just seconds after entering the house. She was only seven years old. She was only a baby, man. When 17-year-old Jerrion Blake was shot dead outside a store in May 2010, the police immediately found themselves with a suspect, Chauncey Owens. In a raid to arrest their suspected killer, the police stormed a house at Lilybridge and a gunshot was heard. They would then discover that an innocent young girl had been shot. Ayana's killer would try and justify what he had done, claiming it was a mistake triggered by Ayana's grandmother's actions. The shooter insisted he had lost control of his gun for a few seconds. What had really happened to Ayana Jones? Who had shot and killed her? Was she the intended target? Was this shooting racially charged? This is the devastating story of how an innocent seven-year-old child's life was taken away from her by those who were supposed to protect her. Ayanna Monet Stanley Jones was born on the 20th of July 2002 to her parents Charles Jones and Dominica Stanley. Her favourite colour was pink and she was deeply loved by her family. She was especially close with her grandmother, Matilda Jones, who fondly called her grandbaby. She was a sweet and loving seven-year-old girl from Detroit, Michigan. She had six siblings and was her parents' first child and only daughter. Her father, Charles Jones, had five boys, three of which were with Ayana's mother, Dominica Stanley. Ayana Jones attended Tricks Elementary School in Detroit and lived with her immediate and extended family at 4054 Lilybridge Street, a house located on the east side of Detroit. Ayana and her parents and brothers lived in the downstairs flat along with her grandmother, Matilda Jones, while Ayana's aunt, LaCrystal Saunders, and her boyfriend, Chauncey Owens, lived in the upstairs apartment of the building. Ayana loved having her whole family unit around her and grew up in a very nurturing and happy environment. All was well until May 2010. On the 14th of May 2010, at around 2.40pm, 17-year-old Jerrion Blake Nobles was shot dead at the Motor City Liquor Store near Mack Avenue in Detroit. During the murder investigation, a witness had identified the shooter as Chauncey Owens and that Chauncey had pulled the trigger. The motive of the killing was said to be due to Jerrion mockingly looking at him. Following this lead, Chauncey Owens became the primary suspect in Jerrion's murder. One day after the fateful shooting, police obtained a search warrant for 4054 Lilybridge Street. Their informant had indicated that this address could be where their prime suspect, Chauncey Owens, was hiding. On the 16th of May, a search and raid of the house was planned by the police SWAT team. They hoped to find the necessary evidence to positively identify Chauncey Owens as the murderer of Jerrion Blake and arrest him. In the early hours of the 16th of May, on Lilybridge Street, the night was darker and the streetlights were out. There was an eeriness to the darkness. 
in the lower unit of the duplex at 4054 Lilybridge Street. A man, Charles Jones, was unable to sleep and was pacing around his room. His mother, Matilda Jones, and his daughter, Ayana, had fallen asleep whilst watching TV on the couch in the sitting room. The sofa faced the unlocked front door. Outside, a relative, Mark Robinson, set about securing his dogs before retiring for the night. Earlier that week, the Detroit police officers had agreed to participate in filming an episode of The First 48, a documentary crime program which follows true real-life cases and gives homicide detectives 48 hours to solve a case. This meant that they barely had 24 hours left to solve the murder of Jerry and Blake and apprehend his murderer. Their plan was to arrest Chauncey Owens, who had now become the primary suspect in the murder. Today we got a Crime Stopper tip on Chauncey Owens at the Lilybridge address. Put him in a photo array. Two uh, independent witnesses picked him out. At 12.43 a.m., upon getting to the dim, gloomy duplex, the relative, Mark Robinson, who had been securing his dogs, was instantly searched for weapons and asked to lie on the ground after which a spokesman of the SWAT team yelled police to announce their presence. They then tried opening the unlocked steel door of the house. The A&E film crew followed the police closely, videoing the operation for their episode of the first 48. The police SWAT team was energetic and ready for action. They came to the house, all geared up, armed with their submachine guns and shields. From the outside, they threw a flash grenade into the front window of the lower unit of the duplex, causing a loud bang and waking Matilda Jones, who had earlier been asleep on the couch with her granddaughter Ayana. Officer Joseph Weekly, who had previously featured on an episode of The First 48 and was currently the show's star, had led the SWAT team into the apartment. He burst into the house immediately after the flash grenade had gone off, in seconds, Officer Weekly had pulled the trigger of his MP5 submachine gun and a single shot was fired. Shocked and panicked from the loud noise, Matilda Jones woke up and rolled onto the floor to protect herself from the shattering glass. Immediately she noticed that her granddaughter's Hannah Montana blanket, which she was sleeping under, had set alight from the grenade. Confused and scared, Matilda Jones immediately tried to save her granddaughter from the burning blanket, but to her horror, it was too late. Sleeping seven-year-old Ayana had been hit by the bullet. The bullet had pierced through her head and exited through her neck, causing blood to pour down her face. A few moments later, a police officer would rush out of the house carrying a blood-soaked, almost lifeless Ayana to the emergency ward, where she would later be pronounced dead. In response, Officer Joseph Weekly then went on to claim that Matilda Jones had grabbed his gun when he entered the apartment, causing his trigger to go off. Following the claims of Officer Weekly, Matilda Jones, Ayana's grandmother, was arrested after the raid for assaulting a police officer. However, she was quickly released the next day. I said, what am I being charged with? Why am I here? And they said, for lunging at a police officer's weapon. Chauncey Owens was later found at the upper unit of the duplex by the SWAT team. He was arrested and charged with the first-degree murder of Jerry and Blake. Charles Jones, Ayana's father, was also later implicated and charged with the second-degree murder of the teen, Jerry and Blake, months after the death of his daughter, Ayana Jones.
Ayana's death sparked fear, sadness, and immediate outrage in the United States. An active group called Justice for Ayana Jones was formed in the honor of Ayana. The group demanded that all the officers involved in the murder of Ayana be tried in court and brought to justice. They paid $450 to have their message flown from the east side of Ayana's home all the way to the Detroit Police Headquarters. The message said, Justice for Ayana Jones. While they were waiting for the state to institute criminal proceedings against Officer Joseph Weekly, the Jones family's attorney, Jeffrey Fieger, filed a civil lawsuit on the behalf of the Jones family against A&E production, as well as the police on the 18th of May, 2010. The police were uh, conducting a made-for-TV uh, Afghanistan raid in a Detroit neighborhood for a simple search warrant that could have been executed without violence, without not in the middle of the night, not upon a f home filled with children. And they w opened the door, rammed the door, and shot a child in the head. The family demanded $7.5 million in damages. The lawsuit contended that Officer Rowe and Officer Weekly unlawfully used excessive force in entering the apartment. It questioned Officer Weekly's account of the incident, claiming the flash grenade had gone through the window and hit Ayana, burning her blanket. The police and unnamed supervisors of Detroit's special response team were further sued for violating the civil rights of Ayana Jones through their training and tactical strategy. The family is suing the police and the A&E cable channel that was filming the raid for the show The First 48. The officer, Joseph Weekly, is on paid leave on disabled status. Days after Ayana's death, the family held a press conference following the lawsuit. Ayana's father, mother, grandmother, and other family members, all still overwhelmed with grief and shock, described the raid in this conference. A distressed Matilda Jones describes the event. Soon as they hit the window, I hit the floor and went to reach for my granddaughter. She added, I see the light leave out her eyes. I knew she was dead. She had blood coming out of her mouth. Lord Jesus, I ain't seen nothing like that in my life. On the 22nd of May, 2010, six days after the raid, more than a thousand people would attend her funeral following the media outrage. Reverend Alfred Charles Sharpton Jr. gave the eulogy for the ceremony, speaking of the injustice of her death. We've got to go and deal with the violence in our community as we hold the violence accountable for others. Why am I directing that to us? Because we need to deal with ourselves. Because all of us have done something that contributed to this. And all of us need to do our part so we won't ever have this happen again. I'm asking you to look at the man in the mirror to change your ways. Ayana's body was wrapped in a pink robe and she was then moved in a horse-drawn carriage to be buried in Trinity Cemetery. Her father and brothers dressed in her favorite color, pink, to honor her. They wore black suits, pink ties, and pink handkerchiefs. After the ceremony, Charles Jones released a dove at her graveside. On the 4th of October 2011, Officer Joseph Weekly was indicted by a one-person Wayne County grand jury and charged with involuntary manslaughter and careless discharge of his firearm, resulting in the death of seven-year-old Ayana Jones. Alison Howard, the producer of The First 48, was also charged with perjury and withholding important video information that could assist the murder investigation. 
During a hearing on the 20th of November, Ayanna Jones's maternal grandfather, Jimmy Stanley, laminated the treatment they were getting from the court and spoke about how they wanted closure. He had said, This is not fair to us, and it's not fair to Ayanna. They are treating us like we are nothing. They think all we need is money from a lawsuit, but it's not about money, it's about closure. I miss Ayanna like crazy. Friends from all over the country keep calling to find out how we are doing. The Wayne County Circuit Judge, Cynthia Gray Hathaway, set a trial date for April 2013. She said in open court that Officer Joseph Weekly should not be tried until after the trial of Charles Jones, who was charged with the second-degree murder of Jerrion Blake months after the killing of Ayana. The trial started on Monday the 3rd of June and ended on Thursday the 13th of June 2013. The Wayne County Circuit Court held the 10-day trial at Frank Murphy Hall of Justice in Detroit, Michigan. In opening remarks by the defense, attorney Steve Fishman said the death of Ayanna Jones was a tragic accident and Officer Weekly had not committed gross negligence in his actions. He blamed Matilda Jones, Ayanna's grandmother, for grabbing Officer Weekly's gun, resulting in the girl's death. Taking the stand in his defense, Officer Weekly told the 12 jurors how he had accidentally pulled the trigger of his MP5 submachine gun and struck the head of the seven-year-old girl. I just feel devastated and just depressed. I'll never be the same, said Officer Weekly. He claimed he only fired the gun because Ayana's grandmother had hit the weapon when he entered the apartment. He also claimed he did not even realize he had pulled the trigger of his gun. The first thing I see as I'm making entry is the room is empty. Weekly told jurors that when he entered the building, he dropped his ballistic shield, heard glass breaking, and put two hands on his MP5 submachine gun. He claimed that the first person he had seen when he entered the apartment was a man in the bedroom doorway. Then a flashbang device went off, emitting a bright flash of light and a loud boom. Then he heard a noise from under a pile of clothes. As soon as the bang goes off, I hear a <gasps> coming from underneath what I thought was laundry. And so now I'm like, there's, there's somebody hiding under here. On cross-examination, Assistant Prosecutor Robert Moran challenged Officer Weekly's version of the incident and questioned how a highly trained officer like himself could lose control of his gun. Officer Weekly, who had testified that his gun killed Diana, had said he had control of his gun until Matilda Jones had hit him. That's your gun, correct? <coughs> yes, sir. You had control of the gun, correct? Mm, at which point, sir? That night, it's your gun, correct? It is my gun, sir. Okay. And it's your responsibility to have control over that gun, isn't it? It is my responsibility to have control over my weapon, yes. Okay. And your gun is the one that fired the bullet that killed Ion, right? My bullet, my gun, shot and killed a seven-year-old girl. Yes. Assistant Prosecutor Robert Moran also questioned Officer Weekly about how Matilda Jones had hit his gun, causing him to lose control and fire the shot, leading to Ayana's death. Officer Weekly claimed that she had hit his weapon downwards, and as he started to pull it back, he mistakenly fired the gun. How was it she hit your gun? I, I mean, can you explain that to me? Can I show you? No, just tell me how she hit the gun. Okay, uh, she hit it in a downward motion. Her head was kind of down, she had some sort of braids or something, because I, I remember seeing that, the, the braids. Okay, just the top of the head, she's kind of covered, draped with the cheek, and she hits it down. As she hits it down, I start to pull it back, 
I hear the shot and I immediately go. Officer Weekly further claimed that after he heard the shot, he did not realize he was the one who had fired the gun. He claimed the MP5 submachine gun was a light gun with very little kickback, so he could not have noticed it had fired. According to Weekly, he thought they were being shot at, and the gunshot had come from a male relative standing by the bedroom doorway. In her testimony, Matilda Jones denied being in close contact with Officer Weekly that fateful night. She claimed she had been lying on the other end of the couch with her granddaughter before the gunshot went off. Did you get up and assault the police officer or grab his gun? No. Did you knock his gun away as someone's coming in the room? No. Did you do anything to interfere with the police trying to execute that search warrant? No, I did not. When questioned on whether there were any children in the house, Officer Weekly and other officers denied having any knowledge of there being any present. They claimed not to have seen the toys or stepped over any children's items to gain access to the building. You had to literally step over that chair, didn't you, officer, to get to the front door? No, the lawnmower's not there. The lawnmower was against the house. Officer, I'm not asking about the lawnmower, I'm asking about the chair. In order to get to that front door, you had to step over that little child's chair, didn't you? No, sir. You did not? No. You didn't see that either, did you? I never saw the chair. I never saw the chair. I saw the lawnmower. It wasn't there. To close their argument, the prosecution told the jurors that Officer Weekly had lied about the incident on the day. Assistant Prosecutor Robert Moran also added he was supposed to keep his finger off the trigger, and he didn't do that. Speaking on Officer Joseph Weekly, the prosecutor said, He may be a good police officer, he may be a good father, he may be a good person. It does not matter. Because of his conduct, Ayana Jones is dead. In closing his argument, the defense attorney, Steve Fishman, told the jurors, you have to determine who tells the truth and who lies. There was something that went on that caused that gun to be discharged. And what went on was the contact between Matilda Jones and Joseph Weekly. The jurors showed no particular emotions. They were neither sad, angry, disgusted, or emotional about the case. Their expressions were tough to read. However, one juror was seen wiping a tear. Their lack of emotions led people to wonder whose side they were likely to take. After three days of deliberation by the jury, the jurors were yet to reach a unanimous verdict, leading Wayne County Judge Cynthia Hathaway to declare the trial a mistrial. As a result, many people feared that justice would not prevail. They wondered if another trial would be held and if the jury would rule in favor of Ayana. However, family, friends, and several groups continued to honor Ayana's memory and organized protests seeking justice. The Wayne County Circuit Court held the second trial on the 18th of September 2014 at the Frank Murphy Hall of Justice. Officer Joseph Weekly was again being tried for involuntary manslaughter and careless firearm discharge, leading to Ayanna Jones' death. Defense attorney Fishman recounted to the 14 jurors, consisting of four men and ten women, the event that occurred on the day of Ayanna's murder, claiming in his account that Officer Weekly had not been negligent in his duties. However, he also claimed that Matilda Jones had lied about her account of that day and had accused Officer Weekly of intentionally murdering her granddaughter. 
The defence also maintained that Matilda Jones was to be blamed for Officer Weekly's accidental gun discharge. Matilda Jones claims, and she's going to testify from that chair, she's going to say that this officer, Officer Joseph Weekly, came in the house and he walked up to Ayanna Jones just like this, put his gun to her head and assassinated her. Nevertheless, on the 24th of September, Matilda Jones testified on the stand. A wailing, emotional Matilla recalled the incident. I'm laying there screaming, asking somebody to help my granddaughter, because he just shot her in the head, and he wouldn't even help her. They turned on the light and seen that she had been shot and carried out the house. <laughs> oh! She told the jurors that Officer Weekly had fired instantly when he entered the house. She questioned Officer Weekly, asking him why he had barged into her home in such a manner. Why you do it? Please tell me why you come in my house like that. Speaking in her defense, she said she had never touched Officer Weekly and accused him of lying and blaming her for his actions. You killed my grandbaby! You killed her and you try to blame me. You know I never touched you, Mr. Weekly. You know I never touched you. You know you were wrong. She went on to tell the court how the flashbacks of the event had caused her insomnia. Her outburst was so intense that she had to be escorted out of the courtroom. I get no sleep. The flashbacks. I wouldn't wish them on nobody in the world. I'm not even you. After the emotional outburst of Matilda Jones, Judge Cynthia Hathaway reminded the jury not to let sympathy and emotions affect their judgment. She then postponed the trial to be continued on the following Monday. On Monday the 29th of September, Officer Weekly's defense attorney asked the trial judge to declare a mistrial. His reasons being that the emotional outburst of Matilda Jones last week on the stand was a deliberate and premeditated effort to sabotage Officer Weekly's defense. Ms. Jones needs to learn that her actions have consequences. You can't come in here and act a fool and try to intentionally create a situation where this man can't get a fair trial. He questioned the possibility of the jury's impartiality. However, the jurors assured the court they could still be impartial regardless of the emotional outburst. The trial judge, Cynthia Hathaway, denied the defense motion for a mistrial. She said if she had to declare a mistrial, there might not be any other trial. However, she also warned that if any witness put on a show on the stand again, she would be forced to declare the trial a mistrial. If the witnesses decide to come in and continue to put on a show, um, which I think may influence this jury, then the court is going to declare a mistrial. The next day, Matilda Jones and Mark Robinson testified against Officer Weekly. Mark Robinson, Matilda Jones's nephew, had been securing his dogs the night of the incident when the police accosted him outside the house. He told the jurors that after he had been told to lie on the ground, he had warned the police that children lived in the house. At that time, it was uh, police cars and everything had, was coming up the street and they was like hopped out on me and putting guns to my head and made me get on the ground. Um, when I got on the ground, I saw the cops, they were like barging up the stairs and they was running to my aunt's door. And I was yelling to him like, there's kids in the house, there's kids in the house. A much calmer Matilda Jones testified about the day her granddaughter was killed. She told the jurors how she rolled off the couch onto the floor immediately after the flash grenade came crashing through their front window. I'm laying on the floor 
And as soon as the door opened, I heard a shot go off. And I seen Ayana, I was asking the police, don't come in like that. Because I have grandchildren in the house and to let me get my grandbaby off the couch. Before I could get anything out of my mouth, Ayana had been shot. The prosecution pointed out to the jury that if Matilda Jones had committed the offence of assaulting Officer Weekly as she was being accused, she would have been instantly arrested when Ayana Jones was shot, which she was not. He added that if Matilda was a threat, she would also have been restrained immediately rather than being asked to sit with the other relatives on the couch during the raid. Once again, the prosecution questions the SWAT team officers about their knowledge of kids in the building. The officers maintained that they had no knowledge of kids in the building and claimed not to have seen any children's items or toys. However, toys and children's items were said to be present on the lawn of the building, making it hard to believe the officers claim that they did not know children lived in the house. Do you recall seeing the, the small children's toys in front of the house? I did not. It's true, isn't it, that, that nobody said anything about having seen any toys. And then, so that subject didn't come up, correct? I didn't recall. The trial continued, and on the 2nd of October, the court heard new significant evidence contradicting Officer Weekly's claims that Matilda Jones had grabbed his gun, causing him to lose control and fire at Ayana. A police officer of the special response team, Sean Shallard, who had followed closely behind Officer Weekly during the raid, testified that he had not seen Matilda Jones grab Officer Weekly's gun. Did you see anyone jump up when you're standing an arm's length away from him in the doorway? I'm not looking that direction, so no. Did you see anyone jump up and grab his weapon? No. Tawana Powell, the lead Michigan State detective in the murder investigation, also testified that a forensic report revealed no fingerprint or DNA of Matilda Jones or Officer Weekly was found on the gun. There was no DNA recovered from the MP5 at all, correct? Right. That, that, that Officer Weekly's, that Matilda Jones, that anybody on earth, there was no DNA at all? No. However, this information could suggest that someone trying to prevent justice had wiped the gun clean. The detective also told the jurors that Matilda Jones was not charged with assaulting Officer Weekly after the incident. The prosecution therefore argued that if the defense had proof that she had assaulted Officer Weekly, she would have been charged with the assault. However, she was only arrested and released the next day. Was Matilda Jones ever charged with the crime of disarming a police officer or assaulting a police officer? No. On the 3rd of October 2014, trial judge Cynthia Hathaway dismissed Officer Joseph Weekly's felony charge of involuntary manslaughter, leaving him on trial for only one charge, recklessly discharging a firearm. There is no evidence in this court's opinion that supports willfully disregarding the results to others. So with this conflict, I'm going to, um, if I am going to err, I'm going to err on the side of the uh, defense and I'm going to grant the motion for uh, dismissing count one. Eventually, on the 10th of October, the judge declared the retrial a mistrial after the jury had said they were deadlocked and could not reach a unanimous verdict after four days of deliberation. Members of the jury, I've received a note from you indicating that you are hopelessly deadlocked. Uh, is that the case? 
With the second trial being declared a mistrial, Wayne County Prosecutor Kim Worthy dismissed the misdemeanor charge on Officer Weekly for the careless discharge of his firearm on the 28th of January 2015. Two days later, on the 30th, Judge Cynthia Hathaway declared that there would not be a third trial. All charges against Officer Joseph Weekly now officially dropped. I'll grant the prosecution's motion, dismiss this case. So if someone needs a scapegoat for what's happening here today, and what's happening here is justice, then put it on. Ayana's family were upset and disappointed by the dismissal of the charges against Officer Joseph Weekly. They continued to live in pain and agony, knowing Ayana's death was unjust and Officer Weekly was free to continue his life as if nothing had happened. They feel that the justice system has failed them. They are very concerned that the judge in this case, uh, Cynthia Gray Hathaway, would render a verdict. That was a directed verdict, which is highly uh, improbable. They never said that they thought that the officer did this intentionally. They said they would have been happy with an apology. They've never gotten an apology. They've been treated as if they, other than being the victims, were just a bunch of criminals who were over there waiting for this to happen, and that is not true. Ayana's death continued to rile up emotions amongst the wider public. The lack of justice saddened most people, and many people from the African-American community were angry and felt unsafe. In September 2013, J. Cole dedicated a music video of his song, Crooked Smile, featuring TLC on YouTube, to Ayana Jones. On the 21st of May 2016, the Detroit faction of Black Lives Matter organised the first rally in her memory. Families of people killed unjustly by police officers and activists gathered at the feet of the Spirit of Detroit statue in front of the Coleman A. Young Municipal Centre. During this rally, Matilda Jones spoke on the injustice of the court. She said, Accountability needs to be expected from cases like this because cops can't keep killing people and getting away with it. The mayor of Detroit, Dave Bing, later prohibited all police participation on entertainment television programs. On the 20th of July 2016, what would have been Ayanna Jones's 14th birthday, Detroit's Black Youth Project 100 and Black Lives Matter Detroit organised another rally, with six individuals chaining themselves to a precinct of the Detroit Police Department. Their protest in honour of Ayanna Jones was designed to deliver a message that they would not stop remembering her until she received the justice she deserved. We are not going to the protesters also pleaded for the termination of Officer Joseph Weekly, as he had been selected to co-chair the Detroit Police Department's Committee on Race and Equality. Unfortunately, the police decided to stop their protest and arrested the six chained individuals. After almost a decade and two failed criminal trials, ending in no conviction for Officer Joseph Weekly, on the 4th of April 2019, nine years after the death of Ayanna Jones, the city of Detroit agreed to settle with the Jones family, paying 
$8.25 million in damages. After two criminal trials of the police officer who shot Ayanna Stanley Jones that did not result in any sort of a conviction, the civil trial for damages was, was supposed to start next Monday. Well, fast forward, late this afternoon, the decision, there will be no trial, a settlement has been reached with the city. Concerning the settlement, Detroit Corporation Counsel Lawrence Garcia said, Ayana's death was a tragic loss for her family and has been a heavy burden on our community. We believe the settlement is fair because it balances the needs of Ayana's family and our responsibility for the city's finances. We hope this resolution will provide everyone involved a measure of closure. Although it was not the justice the Jones family had hoped for, they were nevertheless pleased that they had received some sort of compensation from Detroit City after almost a decade. Charles Jones, Ayana's father, was later found guilty of the second-degree murder of Jerrion Blake and was sentenced to 40 to 60 years' imprisonment. A jury found him guilty in the death of Jerrion Blake. Prosecutors said Jones gave Chauncey Owens the gun to shoot Blake. Charles Jones, you helped taking away so much from my family and friend, and I, on May the 14, 2010, he stole in my heart when I lost my son. However, on the 26th of July, 2019, following a plea of Nolo Contender, he was resentenced to 10 to 20 years imprisonment. And in 2021, on the 11th of October, Charles Jones was granted parole. Are you looking forward to when he can come home and be a real father? Yeah, to his sons. Yeah. It's so upsetting to know that innocent Ayana was killed by the agency that was supposed to protect her just two months before her eighth birthday. It's even more devastating that her death seemed insignificant to the law. All little Ayana had done was sleep on her grandmother's couch, and for that she had paid with her life. Her future was stolen from her due to the carelessness and needless aggression of individuals who took an oath to protect and to serve her and her community. The injustice surrounding her death is extremely painful and heartbreaking. Absolutely no justification can be provided for the blatant, vicious attack against Ayana Stanley Jones. She was undeserving of having her life taken away from her in this tragedy, yet she continues to be held as a hero to the African-American community. We must ensure that her name is stuck to this mission of freedom and truth and that she is never forgotten. Rest in peace, Ayana. Your death will not be in vain.